This is a shock podcast. Gladiators in suits. Welcome. This is from Great to Great podcast, and you're listening to episode five. Jed, let's do a fun fact before we start the podcast. Let's oh. share something that we don't know about each other. Sure, go ahead. So, me first. I've been into this sport lately. It's called paddle. Have paddle. You, have Never you heard about heard. it? So, P A D E L. It's a Spanish okay. invention. It's a combination of squash and tennis. So, same tennis rules, but there is a glass wall at the back of the court where you can bounce off the tennis ball using a solid racket, and it's so much fun. It's so intense. It's been helping me keep myself fit and mentally well in the time of pandemic. That's very interesting. I used to play tennis a lot, and I tried playing squash twice, maybe. But I thought squash was so exhausting. But to combine that both, I could not imagine how exhausting that could have been. Yeah. How about you? I love onsen hopping. Mm, I love onsen. Yeah, but onsen hopping is a different ball game. So onsen hopping is basically you go to an onsen town in Japan. Onsen is basically a natural hot spring. It's a place where people do communal bathing, and everyone's naked. And everyone's right? naked, but it's the Japanese culture to do that, especially during the winter, because everything is so cold. When when it's cold outside, you basically take a bath in a communal hot spring. It could be a natural or an artificial hot spring, and there are towns in Japan where you buy tokens, and that allows you free access to like four oh. or five numbers of inns. Or it's like hotels. a it's like a Disneyland for bathtubs. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and I do, and I love doing that because some onsens have got a natural waterfall right next to it. Some onsens are standing onsens, some onsens are actually mixed gender. Okay. So and some onsens I know have different flavors, yes, right? Yeah. So there's like a wine flavored onsen. Yeah, that's right. That's orange right. flavored yeah. onsen. So I love that. And now that you know, in the Philippines, we do not have winter. I always look back to that moments where I do the, the onsen hopping. So my recommendation is for everyone, if you ever go to Japan, go to an onsen town and experience onsen hopping for a day. So now I know what I'm going to be giving you for Christmas. I'm going to be buying you chokens for a voucher. <laughs> some voucher from a 50% discounted voucher that you can redeem in 2028 right. when you can finally go to Japan after the pandemic yes, has settled. can't wait. So let's go on to our topic for today. It's going to be an exciting one because this is something very close to our hearts. It's, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. And specifically, something very timely that has happened during the pandemic is what we call as the Great Resignation. Are you familiar with this, Jeff? Yes, I have read many articles about it. So the Great Resignation is the millennials specifically have been resigning from their jobs for two main reasons. Number one, the work has been unbelievably loaded because things have pivoted, things have become more digital. Some people have been laid off. So some people are doing the jobs of two or five yep. folks. And number two, they feel anxious about getting back into the office. And so instead of having to worry about all these things, they'd rather resign. And a lot of them end up becoming entrepreneurs and start out on their own journeys. Yeah, or people whose plans have been averted because of the pandemic and they thought 
mm, maybe this is the perfect time for me to jumpstart something new in my career. Mm. I remember that's her story also, Jed. That's correct. So basically, when I did not have any job in Singapore and I had to come back to Manila because of the pandemic, it was that trigger point for me to maybe I could start my own entrepreneurial career. And that is going to be the crux of our conversation for today. Jed and I are both entrepreneurs, but we started our journeys as employees. And so we'll be sharing both our joyful and painful stories the things that we regret when we were starting out and the things that did well for us in the hopes that you guys will be able to capture some tips and perhaps also be helpful in your journey to becoming entrepreneurs. So let's do this, Jed. Let's talk about tip number one. So tip number one, create a safety net for your finances. This means that you basically need to have a lot of reserves of money should your plan A fail. You know, the usual trap, and this is something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to consider. They think that investing in a business only requires the capital. How much do you need to spend for your rent for your store? How much money do you need to spend for the equipment or the salaries of your people? So averagely worldwide, when you look at the statistics, you usually spend around $3,000 for a micro business that can extend to $25,000 for a franchise or even more. Problem is... That's not the only thing you're going to be spending on. There are what we call as the hidden costs of entrepreneurship. Right. So basically, when I started my business, I thought this is the only capital that I needed. But along the way, when you're growing your business, you probably would need some more infrastructures, laptops, gadgets for your colleagues. And can I just add? Insurance. Yeah. You take it for granted because when you're an employee, you think that this is covered by your HR. But now you have to spend for your own health insurance life insurance, fire insurance for your store. A lot of people need to be educated that these things are also going to be expensive for you. So I would always recommend on top of the capital, try to buffer around 30 or sometimes even 50% for these hidden costs. So what else do you think, John, should we buffer more for? So buffer for the possibility that your business will fail, of course. <laughs> right. By the way, Jed, are you afraid? I'm not saying that I'm confident that I'm already a success, but I've been doing my business for like six years now. And I think I got it tight, if I can use that word. But you're new. You've been running this business for only one year. So I'm sure sometimes at night you think about what if this fails? Do you think about that? Of course. Every single night I think about that. <laughs> when, Especially when the sales are low in a particular month, you would always think to yourself, do I still have enough reserves to pay for the salaries of my workers? And I think you should also add, Will I be able to sustain my lifestyle? You got used to buying your Starbucks in the morning. That's correct. You got used to paying for your Netflix account and all these things. So when your business starts to fail and you have to give things up, you might want to start thinking, maybe I should go back to the corporate world. And while that's happening, you're looking for a new job. You're still unemployed. You don't have a business and neither are you receiving any salaries. You have to buffer for that part. If you're going to be for three or four months with no source of any income, try to buffer some money. For example, I would recommend six months worth of savings on top of the capital to be part of your reserves. I'm just being conservative here because if you have a very lavish lifestyle, you might want to support that. But maybe three months could be fine. 
That means you might be downsizing your apartment into a smaller one or letting go of some luxuries. So probably for ultra conservative people who wish to leap into the entrepreneurship, maybe it's best for them to just juggle your datum careers first and then make sure that you have that mm. reserves already. Jet, that was my story. So when I won Apprentice Asia and I became an employee in Air Asia, I started having an idea of building my own consultancy firm for marketing. That was also the same time when I was doing a lot of motivational talks in between. And I said, wait a minute, this is doing so well that it tempted me to quit my job and just pursue full-time consultations and motivational talks. Right. But there was a part of me that was afraid and like, but I've only been doing this for like six or seven months. What if people stop inviting me for consultations? People stop inviting me for motivational talks. What if it fails? So I continued. I continued juggling it for two more years. And then it came to a point wherein, wow, what I was earning in my consultations was like three times what I was earning as an employee to the point that it gave me a lot of reserves. When I thought that that amount of reserves were enough, that's the only time that I quit. But I'm gonna let you into a secret. I feel guilty saying this, but I think it's okay to say it because it's been eight years now. You have to admit the fact that there will be some moments in your corporate life that you'll be guilty because in the middle of the day that you're in the office, you're doing something related to your business. And that's not a good thing because you're supposed to be spending the time if you're inside the office of your company using their internet connection, their electricity, and their air conditioning. That's supposed to be spent on their business and not on yours. So during my time when I was juggling, I felt so guilty because 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I was talking to a client for my motivational talk when I'm supposed to be crunching some slides for Air Asia. Tony, if you're listening to this, I am so sorry. But hey, things turned out to be well and it's been eight years now. A part of me also feels like, uh, you know, I don't think that that's any different to like spending your time to your for your family while you're at work. Is that? Yeah. Maybe. Am I trying to sugarcoat my You are, my but let's just put it this way. It's more for personal development. I also think that as long as you get the job done without exactly. compromising what you promised for your full-time job. Exactly. And that is what's happening right now in the corporate world. A lot of companies are becoming more lenient. They're allowing their employees to do side hustles because that improves their personality and their lives and their enthusiasm at work. At the same time, as long as you don't compromise your job, you'll get it done. Yeah. So key takeaway here, John, is basically you need to do baby steps in your new entrepreneurial venture while still probably working. It's like the goldfish. Remember when we were young, mom and papa told us, when we would transfer a goldfish into a new aquarium, you have to put it first in a plastic so that it acclimatizes with yeah. the water. <laughs> do people still do that? I think so it that, works for plants as well, that you don't repot immediately when you bring the new plants to the house. Is that how it works? Yeah. Okay. You don't repot it first. You let it just acclimatize where it is, and then you repot in a few weeks. Okay, there you go. We were able to successfully insert petting <laughs> and planting tips in the same finance tip. Okay, tip number two. I want to highlight that even if you have the best product that you have thought of, please only start the business when you have figured out a solid marketing and sales plan. Jed, I'll um, challenge you to these two options. Which one would you choose? A good product with no marketing plan or a solid marketing plan with a so-so product? Without batting an eyelash, it's definitely the second one. A solid marketing plan, but with a so-so product. I, I am so with you. And the reason for this is because I'm not saying that you're supposed to launch a bad product. But I also think that a so-so product can still be sold if you're able to position it right. If you're able to look for the right people who will buy it. 
if you're able to position with the right pricing and the right distribution. But regardless if you have the best product in the world, but you don't know how to shout it out, no one even knows what your product is, I think you will fail. You agree? I totally agree. Which is why I think never scrimp on marketing costs. Guys, I've noticed this, especially for family-owned businesses. They think that the product will run its own course. It doesn't work like that in a very super competitive economy when everything is now done online. So spend money on advertising or spend money hiring a person who will do that for you if you don't think you can fit that bill. I've met so many entrepreneurs, great engineers, and these are people who are really super smart, super geeky, super science stuff that they know, but they don't know how to market their product. I'd just like to share something based on my experience because when I started my furniture business, I did not really pay attention to the marketing part of the business because I thought I have a very solid product. But you're confident because your brother is so good at it, right? (laughs) Well, that's one. I mean, you were helping me, of course, in the marketing part of it. But I realized that as the furniture business grows more and more, there is even a better push for me to shout it out, not just domestically. Because you're scaling it up. You're scaling it up, right? No matter how many employees you hire, if you're not delivering the goods because no one's buying it, it's all going to be wasted. Exactly. So I think, yeah, you're right. Just really have to push it on marketing and sales. And here's my other recommendation. If you really don't want to spend on hiring someone to do that for you, please spend and invest on yourself. Train yourself. Enroll in a social media class. Watch YouTube videos if you Mm -hmm. don't even want to spend on that. Products will not run on their own. They will not shout out on their own. You need someone to do that for you or do that yourself, but you need to spend. I'm not advertising that I do social media webinars, by the way, (laughs) right? But I want you to realize that that is the only way to go. For example, knowing how to boost a Facebook post is so non-negotiable these days. Do you guys Do you agree with that, Jed? Totally agree. That's a basic skill you need to know. Tip number three. This is something close to my heart because I was, as a motivational speaker, I did not fully understand this until it happened to me when I had some anxieties this pandemic. So tip number three, manage your mental health once you lose your corporate community. In the latest Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index, it reports across the United States. And again, I apologize. The data that we have are mostly from the Western world for the lack of data in Asia. 34% of entrepreneurs are reported to be more worried and stressed compared to their employee counterparts. Do you agree with that? And I think there's a reason for that, right? Totally agree, yeah. I think the reason why we get stressed is because number one, we don't have a fixed salary. We need to chase a certain amount of money at the end of the month, thinking that if we don't reach that target, we won't be able to pay our own bills. A lot of entrepreneurs have bank loans. Jen, do you have a bank loan, by the way? Or was everything sweat equity? Everything is sweat equity. That's good. So that's also one thing that I'd like to remind everyone. If you can do everything via sweat equity, meaning it's just your hard work, sweat, and all, versus hiring or applying for a bank loan, that's a better way because if your business does not do well, you might end up with a lot of debts. Unless you are scaling your company. Yeah, I agree. But that is one of the sources of stress and anxiety for a lot of entrepreneurs. Oh, totally true. (laughs) manage that because when you become an entrepreneur, and there's a reason why when you're starting out, you're called a solopreneur. You're starting out on your own. You don't have a community of friends. You don't have a community of office mates that you can ask for a date in Starbucks and say, hey, can I share with you my issues? You're your own boss. And even if you have your own employees, it's not like you can chit-chat with your folks and share your personal lives. I mean, Jed, would you even share your personal lives with your employees down to the smallest things? Of course not. Because sometimes when you're the boss and let's say you have five or ten employees, 
you need to keep that professional space that you don't be too friendly with your people to the point that they might abuse your kindness or they see you as friends. So it's a different ball game. As they say, heavy is the head that wears the crown and it gets lonely at the top. Yeah. So when you become an entrepreneur on your own, you're literally on your own. You're not going to have this community of people that you usually enjoyed in the office. You have pantries in the office, cafeteria. You have all these sports fest, whatever. You're on your own now. So, but John, you know what you need to do? Connect yourself with co-entrepreneurs as well. I, I agree. That's also another tactic which I wished I knew earlier. And which I did, you know, when I was starting my business. I did not have anybody to connect with. And so in the course of this business, I found many co-entrepreneurs as well who were previous clients and buying furniture from me. And there are organizations. That's right? right. That's right. And there are organizations like the Rotary Club, BNI, which is one of the biggest entrepreneurship and circle like in the how, world. I like how BNI, for example, encourages you to refer clients yeah. to another fellow yeah. member. And it's interesting because these organizations are basically your therapy organizations. I agree. You speak in the same language with each other because you guys are the bosses of the companies. You complain about the same customers. Correct. You complain about issues with your employees. I yeah. Agree. This is where I think mental health enters the picture because when you start doing things on your own and it becomes a lonely place, it becomes a dangerous space to think about the future, right? So when you're alone, you start worrying about, oh no, what happens if I don't get this amount of money for the month? Oh no, what if my friends think about me like this? Oh no, what if my reputation goes down. Sometimes you exaggerate them to the point that what you need is someone who will calm you down, tap you at your back and say, John, stop overthinking. Things are going to be okay. That's right. And I think when you've lost that in the corporate space, no one will build that community but you. You have to chase it. Yeah. You have to hustle for it. Correct. It's not going to be like a subscription plan that you can buy. Hey, can I buy a new set of friends? You have to look for them. And I think this is a skill that entrepreneurs need to have as well because you can't just wait for the fruit to fall. You have to pick the fruit from so the this tree. Is, you know, when we were entering this studio, I was so impressed how you were talking to the staff in the kitchen of this place where we are right now, talking to them casually about, hey, can I get some ice cream? And you did some chit-chat. I am not the kind of person who does that. No, you're not like that. I, <laughs> I'm an extrovert who does well on stage. But when I go to places, I don't really talk to much people. I you, yeah. I enjoy my I privacy. I figured that out. So that keeps me from interacting with other people as an entrepreneur. And I know that that is a weakness that I need to work on because sometimes businesses are made when you make some small talks. Oh, yeah. People. And that's why your network is your net worth. Another quotable quote from Jed Yabut, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Okay, last tip, Jed. Great. Last tip is to slowly sound off your business plan to your corporate network. This means you already whisper to the ears of your colleagues that you're going to do this venture because in the future, they might be your first customers. So we do a lot of sales trainings for organizations. I keep on plugging myself, right? <laughs> you do. I mean, just FYI. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, it's a free space. So we do a lot of workshops for sales-driven uh, organizations. And we often tell them, when you're starting out in your business, you have three layers of customer. Layer one will be your friends and families because they're likely going to buy your products and services. Right? At the beginning. At the beginning. Layer two are the networks of your friends and families because 
your families and friends can vouch you, can say good things about you to their own friends and networks. So it's easier to convince these people to buy your product. Yeah. Layer three will be your strangers, people who you have no connections with, but because they believe in the product, they believe in the vision, they will buy it. So the last tip I think is so effective because layer three is always hard to catch especially if you have a new product or something that people need to be educated with. So in this case, when you get to sound off to your colleagues that, hey, I'm leaving because I have this new product and service, I'd like you to try it out or slowly tell them, hey, please keep me in mind in the next four or three months, if ever you need someone who needs this and this, I'm here. Here's my contact number and I hope to keep in touch with you. So make sure as part of your transition, don't leave your company in a... Is that you call a French exit or a Dutch exit? I forget. French leave. It's a French exit, right? Yeah. So a French exit is like leaving without letting no, people letting, know. No, no, yeah. Right? So don't do that. Let people know what you're up to. Of course, there will be some exemptions to the rule if you don't really want people to know. But I would rather let them know what my endeavors are because I'll be needing their support later on. I quite agree with that because when I started my business as well, I made sure that all my friends know about it so that the word of mouth starts from them. Yeah. And, and it will trickle down and, in the ne network And remember, as well. we're not living in the 1980s. We're living in 2021 when social media amplifies everything. Correct. So when I tell my friends before I leave, let's say I do, you know, when you leave your company, you use have a final coffee date with them, a final dinner with them. When I left AirAsia, I was telling my friends and colleagues, hey, I'm going to be full-time with my motivational talks. I'm going to be full-time with my consultancy. I'm going to be needing your help. I'm going to be posting my advertisements on Facebook. Could you please help me share it, retweet it? So all these things are going to be very helpful for you because they can now be amplified through the use of technology. Which is why you should not only rely on your Facebook page or sponsored ads, you should make sure that you post all those business products also on your personal page because that's where your friends and families could also share with their network as well. I was underestimating this before because I felt, hey, all of my clients who's inviting me for a motivational talk will be the same people who are from different companies around Asia. And then I realized about 40% of my clients are actually my previous office mates. Right. People who I worked with in the past but now are in different companies because they've also moved to other companies. So the word gets fast. And exploiting that network because they already know who you are, they love you. They trust you. They trust you. Never underestimate the power of weak links. Yeah. Your weak links are the best friend's mother of your cousin's neighbor. Being connected to one thing to another can, you know, it doesn't matter how far it is, as long as you get that sale, it is a sale. I feel like we just came from a trip to a memory lane. Yeah. So Jed, parting words. Right. You know, we keep talking about network and I think the power of network when you're building your own company is really, really important. And I say this because it's true. It really takes a village to work on your company, mm -hmm. to really build your company. You will rely on many different people, your friends, your relatives, your ex-colleagues. In your corporate upbringing, you're basically just relying on yourself because you are a salaried employee. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't need to ask and hustle because people are required to do that. So Correct. they will do it yeah. without you bugging them to do it. But now as an entrepreneur, you're basically on your own. But 
you always have to think that you're never alone. You have your friends and family to always help you and you will need them. Really, really, you will need them. I think what you're trying to say is to swallow the humility pill. Correct. That just because you're now an entrepreneur, it doesn't make you superior than any of us. By the way, I'm going to raise that part because when I became an entrepreneur... You were humbled? No, <laughs> at, the, at the onset, I felt that I was superior to employees. You cannot be like that. I know, no, no. That's why I'm, I'm, hear me out. So I felt like I'm better off now because I have the liberty, I have the power, I'm earning more. And then a part of me realized, wait a minute, you can't survive as an entrepreneur if you cannot hire employees. Yeah. So it's a mutual relationship. If everyone's going to be an entrepreneur, who's going to work for yeah, the entrepreneur? that's true. I want to raise this because I see this often in social media. So many people are posting memes or texts that says, be an entrepreneur. Don't be an employee as if you're degrading the life of an employee. Yeah, agreed. Right? Yeah. Again, I'm going to repeat that. If everyone becomes an entrepreneur like you, the world cannot survive because there's no more ecosystem. That's true. We both need each other to become successful in this world and to each his own. Some people want to risk their lives becoming adventurous as an entrepreneur. Some people prefer stability with a predictable yeah, income. Yeah, I was just month. about to say that. Some people are just happy being in front of a computer desk and just living their lives on admin stuff. And so I learned that you're not supposed to be projecting your definition of success to other people. That's beautifully said. What about you, John? This Take might away. be another tip. By the way, we, we said a while ago three tips. I just realized we just gave four tips. So and now there's going to be a fifth here's tip. Here's a tip. Sorry for that. <laughs> so you guys know, a lot of people know that I'm a control freak. I love being in control of situations. And Tony also said that. He's so good. He noticed that even during the competition. Right. And the one thing that I wished someone taught me, I wish a mentor told this to me, was that when you become an entrepreneur, there is so much going to be ambiguity in your life and you're going to be losing a lot of control. You wake up one day and one of your employees needs to borrow money. You wake up another day and your internet does not work. Remember that when you are in the corporate world, things were more predictable because there is a system supporting it. And very stable. Right? Very stable. You do a paper cut with your fingers while photocopying. There is an office clinic waiting for you. And if, the insurance will pay for and it. And insurance will pay for it. If you become an entrepreneur, you cover all these things. You have to yeah. go to a hospital or a clinic. You know, another example, when COVID-19 happened, remember Jed, our discussion about this? We both said, oh, where do we get our vaccines? Because mm -hmm. if you're an employee, your company will likely cover for it, at least in the Philippines. But now that we are entrepreneurs, we have to source our vaccines on our own or be dependent on the local government. Unit. And in fact, be responsible for the vaccines of our employees. Yes. So that ambiguity is something that you have to be ready for. Being an entrepreneur is not going to be a place for people who only thrive when they know what's going to happen next. So when transitioning, you have to change your mindset. This is why studies show that those who have excelled in school don't do well as a business person. And I think not it's all. But not, not all, yeah. But they don't necessarily. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of those Agreed. who studied well, excelled well. And that's precisely because they were working in a very controlled environment. Mm. They needed system. Very good. But in a business scenario, there's so many ambiguities. There are so many uncontrolled variables. Agreed. And when they are faced with that variables, they panic. They stress out. They just walk away. Agree, agree. All right, let's go back to our business job <laughs> and face ambiguity again. Oh, I can't wait. You know, I eat ambiguities for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you to our listeners. We hope whoever's listening to this and planning your own 
entrepreneurship journey soon. We wish you the best. Stay safe and catch you next time. And of course, John, to our Christian friends, brothers and sisters, we wish you a Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.